sharing the good news across the mother city. And to present the session for us is Naveen Singh from Smile uh, 90.4 FM. And he will be, he's the programs manager there. And he'll be telling us more about the impact of sharing good news on radio. A big round of applause, please. So hi, everybody. Um, I have all my things in the way. Um, so on my, f on my flight through here after doing a presentation, I realized a couple of things. Firstly, I'm not a journalist. So talking about the news is always going to be an interesting opportunity. Uh, but I suppose what that gives me is a little bit more of an objective view. Um, I remember working in newsrooms uh, when I worked weekend radio and sitting with the news guys as you wait for your show to start or your show to, as your show ends, you start to spend some time with them and you start to look around and they're going, geez, it's a bad day today. Wish somebody would have an accident. Wish there'd be a flood. An earthquake would be good. We'd have something to report. So that's the kind of upbringing I got from, from radio and, and working in newsrooms or being allied to newsrooms. And uh, when I got the job at Smile, so a couple of things I must uh, start by saying, I'm with Smile 90.4 FM for six months, uh, so this is not my idea. The credit must be given to my predecessor, a gentleman with a very fine vision and a great radio brain by the name of Clive Ridgway. He kind of conceptualized uh, amplifying the good news in the mother city and actually brought it to fruition. I'm now the custodian of it, so really the, the, the true uh, hero behind this is not me by a long shot, but it's uh, Mr. Clive Ridgway who actually came up with this together with the team. <laughs> So I, uh, so I started to think to myself, you know, uh, what was going through his mind when he started Sm Smile 90.4 FM is a news station. We were around about six years. We were in the Cape Town market, which has a very strong commercial landscape, very competitive commercial landscape, and a very strong community radio landscape. And I thought, you know, it must have been tough in the days when they started the station trying to say, how do we, how do we eke out a listenership? How do we eke out an audience? And in, a, in an area where... Everything's competitive, and in the commercial radio sector, everyone's you know, trying to chase how much better music we can play. But if you think about it, music's quite easily copyable. If you're playing great tunes that everybody likes, the guy next door can start playing great tunes that everybody likes. So that doesn't work. Content, to an extent, if everybody's talking good stuff on your station and bringing all the celebrity gab, you can do that in your station, so that could win. Oh, then everybody says, have big promotions, give away cars, houses, telephones, whatever it needs to bring audiences. Uh, that could work as well, uh, but then the guy next door can do that as well. Kind of leaves very few things left for radio to kind of differentiate itself on. So when you start to think about it, you know, taking on news as an opportunity was quite, quite a... Quite, a, uh, quite an ask and actually quite visionary because news in this country, as we all know, we all grew up on it. It's uh, a three-minute soundbite. We'll hear the local, we'll hear something local, we'll hear the national news, we'll finish with international, and in some cases we'll have a nice funny and finally so that everyone leaves with a little bit of a laugh. That was news. You know? And we do it three minutes on the hour, no longer, no shorter, and then someone said, hey, put some live soundbites in it. It's okay. Journalists went back into the newsroom, started recording people, and before you know it, we had sound bites in you. So uh, the minister of this said today, and you'd hear him, and he go, and then they'd carry on, and that's kind of where this um, this kind of news that we've been exposed to. So my presentation today is a lot of my a lot of stuff that's been done on the station. 
that I'm going to share with you. So a lot of it is I'm just the custodian of it, and I'll take you through what we do as uh, amplifying the good news in the, in the mother city. Which initially got me started to say, well, what is news? And if you think about it, every picture there represents some sort of news that you've been exposed to. Uh, let's not mention the cricket, or sauna, or Steinhoff, or Brexit, or corruption, or Bosasa, or the Rand. Okay, the Rand's doing a little bit better, but it's not because of us. And hell, you know, and if you're in Cape Town, don't mention the gang wars. Uh, so everything in the news today is kind of a tough ask. And uh, so I did a little bit of research into thinking about, so what makes up this psychology of news? And so there's been quite a lot of studies done on this, and it's been quite interesting to read, just for me to get an understanding of, as I un unpacked this, this wonderful ethos that we at Smile subscribe to. And one of the things that comes up quite strongly is that negative events are more memorable uh, and emotionally more impactful than the good ones. So I bet if I mentioned a flood, you could almost tell me the date. If I mentioned um, uh, an earthquake, people could uh, probably remember when that happened. If I mentioned when something burnt down, people will remember when that happened. But if I have to tell you, and I'll see who the sporting kinds around us are here, um, in what month did South Africa win the 1995 World Cup? Can anyone tell me? July. <laughs> it was July. Well done. Yeah. Um, let's go with another a good news story. What year did Mark Shuttleworth go to the moon? Mm, I'll leave that one for you guys to Google later. Here's the adage of most newsrooms, right? If it bleeds, it leads. When you start to actually unpack that statement a bit, it's a little bit morbid of us, isn't it? Is that we, what we as humankind have come to accept? If something's, somebody's dying, it's making it. And then they say, um, our brains make, make us do it. So we think oh, you know, the negative. We always know what happened. And this is an interesting um, uh, psychology and cognitive specialist at the University of St uh, Sheffield, a guy called Tom Stafford, who said people aren't just interested in good news. News has long centered on a negative things because it engages our fear reflex, and hence it's more attention-grabbing, which is kind of true. You start to hear there's going to be a drought in Cape Town, you start getting very worried. Or if there's going to be floods coming through, you start to get very worried. So certain things in the, in the, in the bad news sphere is kind of what we want to know about. So the psychology of news does go a little bit further. Optimists may argue that the media outlets kind of skew negative because bad news is important news. I think that's happened over the last 10 years. We've kind of all media outlets have been to somewhat across the world. I'm not talking mainly South Africa have been blamed. You know, Donald Trump came out with that wonderful work called uh, fake news. Uh, however, negative news can inspire some sort of positive change. If you know people are, in des uh, are being destitute, you remember the tsunami in 2006, seven. Uh, people, when they first heard about it, everybody wanted to know, how can we help? And those were like key moments. So it's not about ratings or, or page views anymore. It's about making the world a better place. And one of the things that starts to come through much more strongly is that if too much of uh, bad news leaves the consumer with sort of uh, a choice between sort of anxiety or perpetual vigilance or tuning out. So you got that, that horrible side to end. Hence, back in the day, and I still see a fair amount of stations still doing it, that talk to you, let's end the news on something a bit more upbeat, just to keep it right. So too much bad news can leave people feeling hopeless and somewhat apathetic. So I said, okay, if that's the case, do we have a case for good news? 
So if I ask you, is the world in a better place now than it was 30 years ago, what would you say? Absolutely not. Look at the troubles we've seen. But I'll allow some stats to tell you more. This is a gentleman called Steve uh, Pinker who's done that research. Let's compare the most recent data on the present with the same measures 30 years ago. Last year, Americans killed each other at a rate of 5.3 per 100,000, had 7% of their citizens in poverty, and emitted 21 million tons of particulate matter and 4 million tons of sulfur dioxide. But 30 years ago, the homicide rate was 8.5 per 100,000, poverty rate was 12%, and we emitted 35 million tons of particulate matter and 20 million tons of sulfur dioxide. What about the world as a whole? Last year, the world had 12 ongoing wars, 60 autocracies, 10% of the world population in extreme poverty, and more than 10,000 nuclear weapons. But 30 years ago, there were 23 wars, 85 autocracies, 37% of the world population in extreme poverty, and more than 60,000 nuclear weapons. True, last year was a terrible year for terrorism in Western Europe, with 238 deaths. But 1988 was worse, with 440 deaths. What's going on? Is 1988 a particularly bad year? Or are these improvements a sign that the world, for all its troubles, gets better over time? Liberal progress. So it's kind of a sobering thought. Is our news, is that because we watch the news so much that we think the world's in the worst place? Hence, we wanted to challenge the norm. A Smile 90.4 FM, they came up with a phenomenal idea of amplifying the good news in the mother city. And, and the philosophy is actually quite, quite endearing, if you think about it. So it's created, I mean, the ethos of smile, by virtue of the bloody name for crying out loud, should say what it's going to do, right? Put a smile on your face. So, um, and and it, it had a deliberate intention of putting smiles on, the people, on people's faces in the mother city. So, which, which you would assume is not hard to do until you drive in Cape Town then you realize it's exceptionally hard to get a smile in the morning. Uh, social media analytics, uh, I see some of the guys from eMedia here who will tell you that good news spreads much faster than bad news. Strange enough, people share that a lot more. It's easier to get uh, shares on good news. I mean, for crying out loud, how many of you have seen the cat video? Or oh, whatever, whichever one now, is whichever one is doing its run. You know, those are the ones that get the shares. And what we're finding is that stories that inspire and create an awe, a gratitude, some sort of optimism, people often start to share. Because we're seeing so much of negative stuff, it's good to see somebody doing well. And that's really where our ethos started to come from. So I think the key question, and a lot of people want to know, how do we do it? Because is it, 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 does it and I'll get to credibility in a while, but how does a station say, how do you hide the bad news? But it's not that, it's about our approach to it. So all our news bulletins are required to open and close with a positive story. And that's something our journalists work very hard on doing. All our news content has to be aligned with our Smile 90.4 FM uh, values. And that's a little bit about being optimistic, putting smiles on people's faces, finding the generosity and charitability to everybody. This is quite critical, and this is really where it comes down to an, a journalistic intent. We really do have to see that the information we get is critically questioned. Is it right? Is somebody just pulling out a leg? Is somebody trying to make something out of nothing? We want to know what is it that you're trying to tell us, and then is there a story in it? So at the end of the day, there has to be a story in it. Uh, we, and this I found quite unique. In the, in the rule book, it says, our journalists are to avoid silver lining reporting. 
So we can't just look at all the good things and say that's as good as it gets and, and hide away from the bad things, because all we're doing then is wearing blinkered vision. Because when the drought does hit Cape Town and people go, well, no one told us, I'm still having a bath every night, or you know, the traffic's bad today, no, I didn't know, it was just in the radio, it was very nice. Um, so those are the things we had to get right. And with that, and probably one of the things that is kind of less spoken about, but is such a key component of what we try and do on our radio station, is the wording, the tone, the pace, the cadence, the timber of the presentation is important. If we're going to sell some good news, we're going to sell it that we mean it, we understand it, and we are doing it just, uh, just service. Our positioning line, amplifying the good news to the mother city, was introduced to clearly kind of convey the core message of the Smile News philosophy. So, how does that happen? I'm sure all of you want to know. If we say we do this, how do we do it? Um, Sona happened earlier this year, and there was a, a lot of good stuff. We could have spoken about bullet trains going to, as everyone now calls it, Ramakandla, uh, or a range of uh, other um, amazing opportunities the president spoke about, but there was still some sobering stuff. And one of the things he did speak about was corruption. Amplifying the good news in the mother city. Smile 90.4 FM. News. Good afternoon. As always, we start with the good news. An expert in ethical and accountable leadership says President Cyril Ramaphosa has shown that he is serious about rooting out corruption, although a long road lies ahead. During his State of the Nation address, Ramaphosa said there's no place left for corruption and that the SIU Special Tribunal will soon start its work to fast-track civil claims arising from investigations into state capture. The director of the University of Stellenbosch's business school, Professor Piet Nudir, says there is hope that change will come. The president has slowly but surely uh, started to act in this regard, but I think at the moment in South Africa we would like to see specific actions from our investigative units and our courts. We are now, I think, tired of hearing this commission and that commission and this testimony and that testimony. We now need to get, get to the point where people are held accountable. But in principle, a good point to make, and we hope to see action soon. So that's kind of how we do it. On a political story, we also do it on other kinds of stories. If you think about, um, there was, uh, water is still a big issue in Cape Town. For those of you who are not afraid with it, uh, we had a very serious drought over two years. And this year, every day that it rains, people are never so thankful. And I mean, what's been really amazing to see is how over the last uh, 24, 36 months probably, how a simple thing like water has created a behavioral change in the city where people, even up to today, I'm a, I'm a new entrant and I even consider how much water I use. And I come from Durban where, hell, there's lots of water, uh, or so I think. Um, and, and just even I'm conscious of, of when we flush loose and how much water and when we run, taps run and how, much, how long your shower is. And, and the whole ethos in the city has really changed quite dramatically over the last 36 months to the extent that as every day that it rains, people are like, okay, where are the dams now? How full is it? Will it be good? Because remember, Cape Town was the first city in the entire planet that, when, that actually saw a day zero in its future. And uh, probably that was the, the real fear element, but it really created a, a behavioral change. And just, just to kind of carry on that point a little bit. I think what we're trying to do with the good news, good news as well is create a behavioral change. Because we can start to position good news and where people are helping people and you start to hear about it, you start to think that it's actually, I'm not alone anymore. 
And that for us is quite an important thing. So this was some of the people that were found guilty of water crimes. Amplifying the good news in the mother city. Smile 90.4 FM. News. Good afternoon. As always, we start with the good news. Strong intergovernmental cooperation has resulted in the owners of a Clan William farm being slapped with a 3.5 million rand fine for contravening water and environmental laws. The Department of Water and Sanitation first took Tirhuk Boerderij to court early last year for several water transgressions. Tirhuk was found guilty on 11 charges last Friday, including the building of a dam without getting a license to address safety. Risks. The department's Sputnik Ritao says they view these crimes in a very serious light. In the first place, you would impact on accessibility of, of water to people downstream. Secondly, there is every opportunity of the department and ultimately government not being aware of exactly how much water is available because then there is an amount that is not accounted for that is taken away from the source. So when they say we took the water crisis seriously? That's what I mean. Um, you know, also in practice, we do a, a fair amount of actually sourcing stories. So our journalists, where a lot of people are sending people to court, I'm always fascinated about that. I hear about everybody who's in court today. And um, the buddy I'm staying with is a lawyer, and I can tell him who's in court every day. And he goes, yes, I know. And that's our conversation about who's in court and why. And I never understood that. Uh, why do I need to know if other people are in court? Tell me what's going to go on in my day. So we do a lot of sourcing of stories. And sometimes some of the most amazing stories are not told. And finally, blockchain technology has found its way into the local agriculture sector with more farmers using the technology to manage their farms, track the movement of their produce and to receive payments. Local agri-solutions company BKB Limited is currently using the technology to track wool exports to overseas markets, saying the technology has helped cut down on red tape and administration. The company added that it can also be used to help track and manage disease outbreaks. The general manager of information and communication technology at BKB Limited, Yakumas. We this year had the market closed due to the food and mouth disease. If we had something in place like the blockchain where we could have proven that certain wool were coming from areas that was not infected, the market would not most probably been closed for the entire country. It creates the ability to very specifically identify which product comes from where. The whole idea is to make sure that we are moving the farmer closer to the market. And if you thought blockchain was all about Bitcoin, there you go. Um, and it's also about helping current organizations that are trailblazing in their profession. And then SRI is a key example. And Pink South African Rescue Boys, first introduced on the country's beaches by the NSRI in 2017, have caught the interest of Australian Sea Rescue Authorities. The Rescue Boys are mounted prominently on large boards with simple instructions and tips for bathers to help others in distress. It's found at 50 beaches between Lamberts Bay and St. Lucia. The NSRI's Drowning Prevention Manager, Andrew Ingram, says since its launch, the Pink Rescue boys have been credited for saving 43 lives. The National Sea Rescue Institute's Pink Rescue Boy formed part of an emergency flotation equipment trial in Sydney, Australia. The Pink Rescue Boy program was started by Sea Rescue in November 2017 and at the moment 424 Pink Rescue Boys have been rolled out between Port Nollith on the west coast and Richards Bay on the east coast. You kind of see it's like simple things like that, but actually 
makes a big difference to our lives. So when you hear all that, you go, well, where's all the bad news? Because there's definitely, uh, the, from the second slide, there's a lot of bad news in the world. So how do we maintain our credibility? Well, firstly, when we're talking about good news, all our staff are journalists. They are trained journalists, and they work to the highest ethics. In my first month, I, I didn't understand this whole newsroom that was doing good news and how that works. So I spent a lot of time just sitting in the newsroom, watching them, or sitting, but kind of learning from how they were attracting and getting stories. They have great networks with community organizations, with NGOs, with the government, with uh, uh, Chapter 9 institutions, and, and a range of kind of feeder people who just kind of share stuff with us and say, you know, this person's done something good and that. So they work through everything in, in, in some sort of uh, strong link that we get some of the stories first. We track down the story like any other. We find a... a, a a lead, we follow up on the lead, we check what the, the, the truth behind it, we speak to both sides to see whether the story does, is there something to the story, and as I say, and then we write the story. But I think the difference is the way we write the story, as you've heard. It's come from a very much more sense of pride, from a sense of charity, and definitely a sense of empathy. And probably the hardest part in our whole facet of doing news. So we do news uh, top of hours and bottom of hours every hour. Um, is to, as you would have heard in our, the first two sound bites I played you, we start every news with uh, amplifying the good news in the mother city. And then as always, we start with the good news. So we reinforce the fact that we're starting with the good news. Then we will have stories that affect our daily basis. And then we would wrap up with just to end on a good news story as well, on a positive side. So every one of our stories has that kind of, uh, every one of our news bulletin, bulletins has that recipe. Uh, feedback from this has been quite, uh, quite amazing. From listeners, I mean, w one is the station's growth in listenership. And that's uh, quite a lot of that is actually attributed to the kind of radio we put out. And more importantly, the, a lot of people reflect the, uh, the news on our station and they say, it is so refreshing to hear a station that starts with good news. Because we live in, a, in an arena and in an environment where everybody's, oh, how bad is that? What's happening? There's corruption, there's this, there's the other thing. And it, and it kind of permeates our being. And you need somebody just to give you that jolt of energy. And that's one of the things our news has started to do. More and more our listeners and non-listeners now engage with our CSI programs. Because one of the things we do do within our news, and I haven't got many examples of them here, is to highlight certain charitable organizations that have added value to their community. And that's something that you normally see in a press release and it gets put in page 11 on the newspaper and you never hear about it ever again. And we started to look at those stories and say, what was the challenge? What did they do and how well did they do it? And because we started highlighting that, so when we do some of our campaigns, earlier this year we did a campaign for, uh, for Reach for a Dream, who haven't, as you know, they do some amazing work with children with cancer and their biggest challenge is that some children will not survive to see their to see, realize their dreams, and they try and make those dreams happen quicker. But over the last 18 months, one of the challenges they found they had was that all these children were being helped individually, and there was never an opportunity for them to play together, because all they knew was doctors, hospitals, and home. So they started a campaign, and we went on a huge campaign to help them drive uh, a funding collection to get uh, 
these kids away on a, like a weekend away with hospital staff available that kids could be kids go and fish play in the play in the grass kick a ball whatever it was that made them feel like children you know, which, was, which was quite a phenomenal and our, and our listeners by virtue of what our news product does kind of just open their open their um, open their wallets to that listeners love the fact that we have a, a, a we start each bulletin with good news. There's, they feel that jolt of energy that c- kind of comes through that no other radio station is delivering on. It's a tough session to have. The one, you know, they say the toughest session in, in, in a conference is the one after lunch. I think you can all agree it's the one directly after the one after lunch. Uh, so it's, and it's kind of warm in this room, so I'm gonna, I'll cut you a few things. Uh, there's a guy in the UK who started a organization called Positive News. And uh, I found, uh, I've got two quotes from him here which I'd like to share with you as we wrap up today, uh, which I found quite thought-provoking, but at the same point, quite inspirational and motivational. A more positive form of journalism will not only benefit our well-being, it will engage us in society, and it will help catalyze the potential solutions to the problems we face. And it's good for journalism as well as it strengthens, strengthens journalism's commitment to truth by giving a fuller picture of reality. And it commits journalism to fundamental ethics, such as minimizing harm. And I think if you start, and for the journos, and, and we're a radio at academy at a, at a journalism school, if you kind of buy into the fact that journalism is not just reporting what's happening, but finding those other stories that add real value. Uh, there's some, he goes on, this is Sean Dagan Wood from Positive News. And he goes on to add, from some lab studies by a positive emotion specialist, Barbara Friedrichsen. So they've shown this. So positive emotions cause through us, so by what we do, our awareness expands from a habitual focus on ourselves to a more generous focus on our collective. And she says that negative emotions have proved useful for human beings in survival of fight or flight situations. And that goes back to when dinosaurs were hunting us down, Neanderthal times. But it's positive emotions now that have driven civilization forward because they foster creativity and innovation. And I'd like to leave you with those two words. If nothing else, good news can do, but it can allow us to foster our creativity and innovation in how we move ourselves forward in this realm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, in within time and some time for any questions that you may have, is what, how we amplify the good news in the Mother City. Thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah, please go ahead. Uh, we want to... Thank you. Uh, I want to find out is um, your news, do you share it with other stations or it's only for a station? Currently, it's what we do, we keep to ourselves because we work quite hard at it. I think if the ethos of another station, and I'd have, we'd have to work on a, on a merit by merit basis, um, if the ethos of another station kind of shares the same vision, then it has, I think it has the right vibe the right DNA to do it. I think it, it does smack of insincerity and I make the joke about the and finally stories that oh we need to put some good news in. Okay and finally today uh, technology has shown that 
you can lose weight by taking tablets. You know, and off we go with the science behind it. You know, uh, you know. So, I think we want to steer clear from that. If there's a natural fit between our station and another station, I'd certainly look at uh, some sort of because it's also interesting to hear how other people perceive good news. And so it'll be quite a learning curve. We haven't done that uh, as it stands. And so I got quite an ego boost when we came in here. Uh, one of the gentlemen from the UK is here, and, and they reference us, or the reference the station, quite a lot for what we do. So we're kind of trailblazing in a way. Uh, not many stations have done this. So I think we'd have to make sure that there's a natural fit for stations for us to start sharing this. Because I wouldn't want, I, I, I think it can, be, it can be done in a flippant way as well, where people are like, oh, goodness, what are they talking about now? You know, so I've got to be quite careful with it. Uh, why I'm asking, we are radio pulpit and we are a Christian station. So now, when we do our news, at the end of the news, you've got a, uh, a commentary from a pastor to try and bring. That is why I'm asking because we, the, the news that we do, uh, even if we, we do buy news, then we have to look at the news, work on them, take out some, and that is why I'm asking. <laughs> A funny story here, because I think, uh, so as I find out more about our radio station, uh, apparently when we first started having the name Smile, 90.4 FM, and amplifying the good news, a lot of people thought we were a Christian radio station. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so we, we, we're not a religious radio station. We're we, uh, very obviously a, a commercial radio station. So it's not something that we are, uh, you know, but we are looking at improving people's lives through the collective by sharing stories that actually show people doing good and, and then hopefully inspiring other people. And all, I, I think the bigger thing is a lot of people have the, the, the feeling of, I don't know what to do. How can I, one person make a difference? Well, it needs some mouthpiece, and that's what we provide, to showcase what people are doing so that you can either join in or start your own venture in your small arena. And that's what we hope to inspire. What are, um, sorry. What's been the response from your advertisers uh, to your good news mission? So are you asking what's the commercial model? Uh, 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 look, it, it, it's a... It's a most advertisers like it. So we have a, a couple of advertisers that will specifically buy our news because we are amplifying the good news. So they see that they want to be associated with something that's good. So straight away they feel kind of comfortable that the first when they hear they, when their name is being associated with the brand, they're getting the best part of the brand up front. So from that perspective, it's been fairly strong. I think the commercial model and, and in my research ahead of today uh, is still something that needs to be determined because it's not, it's not getting you the mass numbers and people are buying on numbers, as you well know. Um, so it's, it's probably, I think, we're about three to five years ahead of our time. Uh, and with, when Clive started this, he was probably about seven years ahead of his time. But I can see... So a lot of, a lot of the big players have kind of pushed us. You remember at one stage, F&B were trying to be big into good news. Um, uh, worldwide, Huffington Post have tried it, Washington Post have tried it, uh, the Daily Telegraph, a range of people have tried it, but as a small entity, and as soon as the business model didn't make sense, they just clam closed up on it and moved on. I think the ethos of our station by virtue of name uh, and the DNA that's been ingrained into the station, this is something that we are in for the long haul. 
So I think it'll show its true value in time. We've got to change, like we did, you know, we had, a, we had Water Warriors as, as a station initiative during the drought uh, in Cape Town. And that gained humongous uh, traction and helped in that whole behavioral shift. So something like this, which will start small, but the more often and the more, I think the more we are indoctrinated with it, we can pass that on in a much more meaningful way. So it doesn't be, sound like we sugarcoating the news, which is not what we are doing. And that's why I wanted to play the examples. We're not saying um, the Zondo trial, the Zondo commission is doing this, or the cricketers are actually playing very well. They just can't win matches. We are not doing that. So I think because that would be unrealistic and also sound incredible on air. So we are quite mindful of that. So I, th I think we're a couple of years ahead. But as more and more advertisers are moving towards influencers, I think this is a strong influencer for the future. How big is your newsroom? How many reporters do you have? And how many stories do you do per bulletin? <laughs> Hardworking people. Uh, we have five in our newsroom. Um, and they do, re they do, between them, they do the sports, the news, the, re uh, the research, the, um, uh, some of the finance. Uh, it's, it's a very hardworking newsroom. We have one saving grace. We're English and Afrikaans. We're bilingual. So some of the good news stories allow us to be uh, allow us to be translated either from Afrikaans into English or from English into Afrikaans, depending where the source is, and that allows us the ability. We're getting through about twelve uh, good news stories a day, so it, it's a tough ask. When I walk in the morning, I go, "How many have we got?" And everyone turns and looks at me like, "Really?" You know, it's not a numbers game. Uh, but it, as you know, it is a numbers game at the end of the day. And, but they do, and they source hard, and, and they look, you know, they really look for, and, and we're quite critical, specifically the one that leads. It has to be strong enough to be a lead story. Any more questions? What are your station hours? 24. Okay. So, and you've got news every hour, every half hour? All right, thank you so much, Naveen. Can you please give him a big round of applause for the session? And hopefully there'll be more good news to share in the future. <laughs> thank you so much.